Ladies and gents, I'm back better than ever. Well, kind of, still pretty tired, <laughs> but I'm back from my little break. For those who don't know, I was in Malta for about two and a half weeks and then got really sick. And my wife got really sick and was hospitalized for a period of time. Rest assured, things are going back to normal, which is every Monday with a brand new horror story. Today's episode is titled Waking Up Grinning. So please, enjoy. The gravel crunches under my high heels as I force my way, step by aching step, along the side of the maintenance road. Above me, on either side, the swaying green corn stalks form walls twenty feet high, pressing me in along this narrow corridor. Auto-pollinators were, above them, vast, slow-spinning brushes dispersing their contents like pale yellow snow. It drifts down over me, clinging to my clothes and my hair and my skin, coating me until I look like a strange yellow ghost, stumbling down this ruler-straight road. I take a pull on my oxy, my lungs relieved at the small break from the pollen-choked air. Cameras were above me, black glass eyes lurking in heavy housing, watching from atop tall poles of white metal, their small forms grinding to follow me as I stagger onwards. I ignore them. If there's anyone watching me from the other side, they haven't come for me yet. And I doubt they're going to bother. Unless I do something to harm the core. And I have much, much more important things to do. The car crashed a couple of miles back. Something in its engine burst and whined. And then suddenly the steering wheel didn't work. And it was skewing off the gravel and crunching nose first into the delicate plastic fence and the immovable corn stalks. I suppose it was inevitable. It was old and already broken. It was never going to take me that far. No matter, I am prepared to walk all the way there if I have to. My shadow stretches out before me, on and on, through the bright orange sunset towards where the maintenance road is cut off by the horizon. I follow it, pollen swirling up in dusts around my feet, my smile plastered across my face. I saved the pills, that's what matters. They're clutched tightly in my hand, my sweaty fingers squeezing the little orange bottle like a child's mascot plushie. Twenty-three I have left. I have counted so very many times. Twenty-three. Twenty-three until I find him. Twenty-three nights dreaming of him. Twenty-three mornings waking up. Grinning. I am wandering alone through the corridors of some strange place I cannot name. Its floors and walls twist, 
different every time I try to find my way back. They are white and sleek and clean, adorned with pictures of things that were important to me once, but that I can never quite make out when I look at them. Sometimes the corridors will open out into a room, huge rooms, or the atrium or places I almost recognize but not quite. Artificial light filtering in through high windows, motionless people at desks whose faces blur and fade when I go to them. And although this place, dotting its walls and ceiling, and even floor like strange metal fungi, are the loudspeakers, they whisper to me, an incessant sound at the corners of my vision that feels like it will worm its way in through my eyes and wrap itself like a python around my brain. I cannot make it out, but as I stumble and run faster and faster, I can feel it building, roaring and pounding, like what the ocean must sound like. It seems almost to propel me, a pressure at my back, driving me on and on through the labyrinth corridors towards some inevitable destination. I stop for a moment at a place where one hangs low enough on the wall for me to reach and put my ear to its fluted head. Follow, say the words coming out in their thin, half-audible stream. Follow. 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 Who am I to disobey? On and on my feet pound, carrying me through space up the space towards whatever beckons me onwards. And when the alarm jolts me out of sleep long before I am ready to stop searching, I can still feel the rush of exhilaration in my mind and the stupid, almost hungry smile on my face. They've given me a new pill with my dinner. I adjust myself, sitting up as far as I can in my cramped, white, sleeping pod to look at it. The others are small things in a little plastic cup beside my shaken nutrient cube. Tablets or little capsules, white and blue and red, or some combination of the three. Scraping slightly as I shift the cup to look at them, but this one. This one is as long as my fingernail, a bright orange capsule, sitting fat and proud atop the rest, almost daring me to discard it, to abandon it on the tray and let the machines whirl it away. I won't, of course. The pills are there for a good reason. They help me with things, with my weight and my anxiety and my paranoia and my hysterics and my acne and my period and the pain in my muscles and the pain in my eyes and the pain in my bones. They're important. I have to take them. And besides, it would take so long to fill out the form explaining why I didn't want it. 
I put the nutrient cube into my mouth, chewing it morosely as I look at the thing. They've given the cube a new flavor, a sour thing that's trying to be lemon and not doing it very well. And it makes me miss the warm tasting almost apple that it used to be. No matter. I'm sure I'll get used to this one soon enough, even if it does cramp my stomach and make my eyes burn, and it's better than what I'd get on the street, living on oxy wages and industrial waste. At least it's food. I could look up the pill, of course. I could see what it does and why they've issued it to me. They're obligated to tell me after all. Grunting slightly at the movement, I shift myself and reach up above me to where the touchscreen's pallid glow suffuses down from the roof of my little sleeping pot. Opening my update folder and scanning idly through the masses of unread messages within, but I can't be bothered to spend the next hour sifting through the impenetrable mire of the pharmaceutical updates to find a medicine whose name I don't know how described in language I barely understand, and I realize a few minutes later that I've almost subconsciously closed the folder and gone back to scrolling threadage again. I sigh, half sitting up again and looking down at the dimly lit meal tray. There's a letter G on the top of the pill, stamped into its hard, thin casing, glittering in the shifting light of the video on screen. I stare at it for a moment, wondering idly what it stands for. Then I shrug, slipping the little thing onto my tongue and wash it down with a sip of shame. As it slides down my throat, my eyes wander back up to the feed on screen, meaning to make a bit of progress on my ever-looming engagement quota. But as I scroll through the endless wash of ads and scattered posts, my mind wanders, drifting away to times and memories that had lain buried for years. Memories of happier things, memories of childhood, of the distant time before I lived in the Vanofield building when my life was more than this little sleeping pot. I don't quite know when it is I fall asleep, but in my dreams I'm young again. Following toys and games through the nursery, a smile of uncaring bliss across my face. Follow, whispered the waves, playing against the shore. Follow, follow, follow. I run along the beach, my brain's Imagine seagulls humming like security drones as they fly away into the cloudy sky. The waves whisper at my feet, chlorine blue and foaming with memories, and I reach down occasionally to pick one up. My old toy, Honda Horton perhaps, bedraggled and ruined, his smiling mouth half eaten by time, or that essay I had scored perfectly on its shimmering red A-plus half-eaten by the salt water. My mind keeps trying to spiral away, to dream those dreams and relive those memories. 
but always the whisper of the waves drag it back here. Now, to this beach. Follow, follow, follow. On I run, not knowing what I'm looking for, but desperate to find it. There are dead things on the shore now, things I would rather forget, but they seem to fade as I look at them, blurring into darkness, meaningless shapes on the sand. They do not matter. They are but gifts of the waves, small beauties and smaller pains, deposited on the shore by the far greater sea which spawned them. I look up, out across the waves, to where the grey clouds fade to purple and gold on the horizon. There is a shape there, on the far-off line between sea and sky, black against the sunset. I cannot see it. Not properly. Not from this distance, but I know what it is. A small chair. Like a swivel seat on a boat, emerging on a long swaying pole from the sea, and sitting on that chair is him. He is dark, quiet, facing away from me into the sky. He sits hunched there like a gargoyle, head bowed, arms on his knees, feet braced against the pole beneath him. Over his back is a small cape and on his head is a black top hat, like a TV magician, making his already impressive height seem even greater. He is motionless except for the flap of his faraway cape in the faint sea breeze. He does not see me, he does not acknowledge me, but his voice whispers to me from the waves. Follow, follow. Follow. I kick off my shoes and obey. The water is warm around me, clear and blue, lost memories swirling around me like a plastic spill. I can see the seabed far below, strange dunes tinted blue by the water, toys and touchpads and ads and paychecks and memories tumbled up amongst them swirling ever onward towards the shore. I ignored them all. Only he matters. He is why I am here. He is why I am me. On I swim, on and on. Hands pouring at the water, legs kicking desperately behind. I cannot see him now, but I know he is there just behind this wave, or this one, or this. Soon I will find him, soon everything will be alright. And then a wave crashes down over me as I surface for air, and I awake with a start to my sleeping pod, eyes wide, gasping for breath, an almost bestial grin of exhilaration stretched across my face. I stand in front of the green screen in the studio, a fake smile plastered across my face, my eyes sweeping from camera to remote camera as I gesture to the little orange bottle I hold in my hand. 
Grinsprint, I read from the dozen teleprompters, burying my teeth in a cherry grimace that I know will be artificially whitened later. Has been reported to increase bone density and provide clearer skin and eyes. In addition, 98% of subjects said they experienced prolonged feelings of euphoria after taking Grin's print. I am barely even processing the words. It's not as though they matter anyway. They're the same buzzwords that all the ads have. And it will be edited and dubbed and cut a million times to fit whatever platform it's being broadcasted on. All I have to do is look appealing in the raw footage and they'll do the rest. I adjust myself, my heels tapping against the green of the floor as I give the cameras an attracting sidelong shot. Ask your local doctor or pharmaceutical site about Grinsprint today. Call now to receive your Grinsprint starter package, including three bottles of Grinsprint, a Grinsprint fact booklet, a Grinsprint t-shirt, and a Grinsprint coloring book for the aspiring Grinspreneur in your life. All for the low, low price of $499.99. Still smiling, I lean forward, exposing a hint of cleavage to some of the hungry cameras as I give the bottle a little tap with one fingernail. Remember, with Grin's print, you'll always wake up grinning. There's a little ping and a green light from the teleprompter. And up behind a thousand cameras, the live feedback footage of myself on the big wall screen goes suddenly dark. I sit down hard on the floor, taking big, heavy breaths and reaching behind the green screen for an energy drink. It's hot in here with the floodlights and the endless thundering whirr of the cameras and the makeup and antiperspirant cream clinging to my skin makes it feel even hotter. I debate turning the fan on, but it'll mess up my hair and I probably don't have time to fix it before the next shoot begins. Best to just sit for a moment and drink. As I set down the plastic can, I find myself idly wondering what it is I'm advertising and glance down at the bottle in my hand. It's a little orange thing with a fat plastic lid that you have to press oddly to open. Grinzaprint, it reads, with a lot of technical information and an image of a smiling woman who is not me holding up a bottle of the stuff. For a moment, I amuse myself with the image of infinite bottles of Grinzaprint stretching away forever into the label before something suddenly connects in my head. This is the pill they've been giving me.
This is that big orange capsule with a capital G inscribed on it that's already become my favorite in the few days since I started taking it. I always look forward to the relief of the pills, of course, but this one doesn't make me shake or vomit or panic mid-shoot. This one actually makes me feel better when I wake up and genuinely does fulfill the promise of its motto. I smile slightly, genuinely pleased to be advertising a product I actually like for once. Suddenly, so abrupt and unexpected that it makes me jump. The wall screen comes on with a bright flicker of pale light. I scramble to my feet, assuming that the next shoot has started, but there's nothing on the teleprompters. No ad to read to the watching electronic eyes, and after a moment I realize that it's not my image being displayed up there, huge and high resolution. It's a news feed. The fuzzy, flickering image of a city street looms there. Towering concrete buildings covered in ad screens, pressing in against a crowded street. Drones circle through a sky so smoggy that it's impossible to tell if it's day or night. And cars push slow and grim through the flowing crowds of people. And in amongst those people walking down the street with a sheer purpose that makes vehicles and pedestrians alike part the way before him. He's a tall man, dressed in a sharply cut ash grey suit, his short cape fluttering behind him as he walks. His hands are folded behind his back, and his face is hidden beneath the brim of his hat. A tall, fancy-looking black top hat with an orange band around it. He speaks to no one, acknowledges no one, but around him the pedestrians stare as though they've never seen his like before. And the cars slow and even stop so that their passengers can get a better view. The view cuts again and again, showing him from a street level, cans and from the flock of drones that accompanies him. He's no celebrity. I would know his face if he were. And besides, he's not framed like that. He's framed in an almost threatening way, as though his march down this nameless street will lead inevitably to the end of the world. Nervously, I walk off the set, going around behind the cameras for a better view. I'm not really supposed to leave the set, not while the cameras are rolling, but something tells me they won't stop me. And besides, there's something hypnotic about this silent news feed, broadcasting itself impossibly on a screen 
that, as far as I knew, was supposed to be off. There is a text crawl at the bottom of the screen. The words of whatever reporter or news anchor is covering the story, transcribed so that even without sound, the news site's message can reach me. Most powerful men in our world today, and one of the most intriguing, as you can see, even here, despite his unexpected appearance, all eyes are on here, and he's taking the attention in stride. The view cuts to a camera that must be set on the roadway itself, staring up at him. His face, for the instant, I can see it, is hard set and distant, as though he could break the world and build another in its place if only he put his mind to it. In his eyes, something seems to flicker. For the barest instant, and he turns and looks down through camera and screen at me. I know it is at me. I am not in the center of the screen. I'm off to the side, ready to scurry back on stage the instant this strange broadcast shuts off. But his eyes meet mine perfectly. And in them I can sense approval and pride and promise. Follow. Those eyes seem to say, follow. And my breath catches. My heart swells. Follow. And my mind is aglow with hopes long forgotten. With dreams I had to kill, wondering if they could live again. I take a hesitant step forward, one hand folded over my heart, the other reaching out to press against the soft, rippling warmth of the LCD screen. And hesitantly, nervously, not quite knowing if I dare to, I smile. I am half running through a forest, surrounded by the buzz and hum of insects and birds, unsure of where I must go. He is waiting for me, I am sure of that. I can feel him just ahead, sitting on his strange chair, utterly silent, as he thinks of things too great for me to comprehend, but I do not know where. Perhaps this fork in the path will do it. Or... No. No. I'm sure I've been here before. This one, perhaps? Or... This one? Follow. Come the words. Identifiable as his voice now, murmuring silently to me through the tree. A deer runs out in front of me, its antlers tangled with Christmas lights, camera cables caught in its hooves. It looks at me, for the briefest instant and for a sudden, overwhelming moment, I remember being small again, watching a documentary on the last Echodome, 
where deer still live. Then, before my dream can change to an echo of that memory, the deer leaps up into the branches above and is gone. I look up. Above me, the boughs of the tree interlace, forming a beautiful lattice like some strange, fantastical horn. Light filters down through it, glinting off the patterns of wood and leaf grown into the shape of walls and doors and corridors, the leaves hanging like trim from beautiful arcways. And there, far in the distance, sitting in a spherical room, made of a thousand woven branches, memories blooming like flowers around him, he sits hunched over his chair on a pole extending up from the forest floor. I run to the nearest trunk, trying to get a grip against the glass-smooth bark, trying to hold myself up it. I must get to him. I must. There must be some way into those beautiful halls into that golden green glowing space that is his and that I desperately need to be mine. Dear, look down at me and birds and what I imagine wolves must look like. Follow, they whisper in his voice. Follow, follow, follow. I can't, I reply. My voice sounding strange and hollow and childish. Follow. The entangled deer reaches down a long, slender limb, extending its hoof towards me and unfolding it like a hand. I grab it, joy rushing through me as I use it to brace myself, scrambling up the slippery tree trunk, crawling up and up towards that beautiful hall above, and then from nowhere at all, the pleasant beeping of my alarm cuts into my dream, and I awake in my cramped white sleeping pot, hope still grinning from my face. After eight days, I find a break in the fields. There is a small cut out of the maintenance road, a little graveled lot where a trunk and an airtight shack sit covered in golden pollen. Both are old and rusty, clearly bought years ago and heavily maintained since. Thousands on thousands of cables trail like a black spider web towards a metal pole on the roof of the shack. The tails of the cameras feeding what they see to a monitor somewhere within. I am gasping for breath, wheezing in the thick carbon dioxide air and pulling in vain on my empty oxy. My legs ache, my clothes are tattered, my body is drenched in sweat. I am starving and dehydrated and exhausted. I have only 15 pills left. 
The only thing keeping me moving is the promise of finding him. My dreams have been throbbing with him, my exhaustion letting them leak through into my waking hours as well as my tossing fitful sleep. I imagine him sitting in his chair on its pole, at the end of this infinite road of gravel and corn, his whispers echoing back to me through the rustling of the leaves. He is so close now, so close, I can almost hear him. I stagger towards the trunk, hauling myself with a faint whimper of pain up onto the running board, but though I rattle and heave and bang, the door is locked, and all my pounding on the window with my weak, shaking fist cannot grant my poor starved body the strength to break it. I stumble back off the running board falling hard on one hand against the rough gravel, and pull myself slowly upright, moving step by painful step towards the little shack. There is a light inside, I realize, as I get closer to the door. The whirring of a fan, too, keeping the air inside cool and comfortable and oxygenated, my lungs start to ache as the thought of that, being able to breathe freely and easy instead of choking on this hot, shallow air so thin that even the deepest breath is insufficient. Hesitantly, I grip the knob and push open the door. I am greeted by a rush of cold air, making my hair flutter and my hungry lungs gasp frantically in relief. I can breathe. I can breathe. At last, I do not have to choke on pollen and pumped out CO2. Do not have to try and draw substance from drained air that humankind shuts out. I can breathe. I stumble forward, my renewed strength carrying me into the little room beyond the door. For a living space, this place is huge. An entire room with a bed on one side and a stove on the other. A huge TV on one wall playing the newsreel of him on loop. If anyone lives here, though, I cannot see them. There are no people. Only a mug of cold coffee on a side table, suggesting that this place has ever been inhabited at all. The cupboards are well stocked, though, yielding bags and cans and boxes for my hunger and a great chilled jug of water for my thirst. I sit down surrounded by them on the floor watching the television play the scene I know so well as I cram sweet cereal and crackle pops and chemical tasting water into my mouth, relief washing in great waves through my body. When I stand still, my limbs are still shaking, 
but now at least it's exhaustion and nothing more. The keys to the truck lie on the table next to the mug. I take them gratefully and then, after a moment's thought, I screw open my pill bottle and gently, ever so gently, tap one of its precious contents out into my palm. I am a bit surprised that whoever owns this place didn't seem to have a pill cupboard, but perhaps I can give them one of my own as thanks for all the bounty they have bestowed upon me. Smiling, I slide the pill out of my hand and into the mug of coffee. I stand atop a strange white monolith, so narrow I can only barely balance upon it, and so tall that it seems to go on forever underneath me. Around me are other such monoliths, at a thousand different angles, braced and tilted, and enclosed to form a vast twisting space. A line of them emerges from the floor like the spines from a dragon's back, a long, arcing row that stretches on and on and away until it is hidden by the hump of this place's curving, not roof. With an enormous effort, I jump from this one to the next as though a long stepping stone. There is little sound in this place apart from my own. The noise of my feet against the smooth stone surface, the gasp of my breath as I prepare myself to jump again. But what sound there is, is taken and amplified by the structure of the things bouncing again and again off the monolith's pale flanks repeated and channeled over and over until at last it forms that familiar word at the edge of my ear. Follow, follow, follow. I'm trying, I say, and my speech echoes back as an explosion of words urging me onwards. One monolith, another, another. It becomes hazy almost. Not the grinding effort it would have been while awake, but an almost accelerated feeling, as though the effort of the journey matters less than its completion. The entirety of this place is identical, but I can feel my heartbeat speeding up, can feel the excited way the words bounce around my head like fluttering birds. I am getting closer. And then suddenly, a leap carries me to a monolith short enough to make out the space beyond the curve of the roof, and I see him. He sits atop his chair, where the last monolith should be, aloof, uncaring, his back turned to me. The pole is taller than even the tallest of the great white structures but I do not care. My goal is in sight. All I have to do now is make it to him. Another leap, another, another. With each one he grows closer, the details of his form becoming clearer, 
that orange band around his top hat, the ash grey of his suit, shimmering strangely in the pale light that suffuses this place like fog. The rusting metal of the pole, the clean iron grey of the chair, the whispering swirl around me like great flocks of bats pushing me towards him, and I let them half carry me like an airplane soaring on the wind. But so many more now. Another. 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 And then almost before I know it, I stand atop the very last monolith at the base of the pole, looking up at where he sits a hundred feet above. I call out to him, but he does not reply. He does not even move. I can hear his slow breath, the quiet flap of his cape in a breeze I cannot feel. It is as if he does not know I am there at all. I know in that instant that I will have to climb to him. There is no hesitation in my mind. I crouch pausing for a moment in apprehension, and then spring forward, borne on my wind of whispers. My limbs flail out as I find myself suddenly, horribly, falling, and my hands reach frantically for the pole. For it will save me. It will lead me to him. It must. It must. With a sensation like an electronic shock, my hands close around the cold metal, and as they do, I awake with a start to the pinging of my alarm, still grinning with exultation even as I realize that I have failed him yet again. I lie in my sleeping pod, awake, thinking, they sent me off the chute early today. They never do that, ever. Often they keep me late, shooting for an hour or two or even three after the end of the shift. But I've never finished early before, not once in all the years I've worked here. But then everything has changed since that news broadcast and the entry of his terrible face in the ghostly electronic halls of the internet. Every frame of that video has been scrutinized and analyzed, picked apart by VTube and Threadage, and you mag until every shot, every shape, every blurry jumble of pixels is recognizable at a glance. Discussions fester regarding who he is, where he came from, why he's here now, what his connection is to Grinzaprin. I do what I can to contribute, though I'm no video editor or photo analyst and don't have the insights that they do. All I know 
is that I'm as desperate to know as they are, and that my heart skips every time I scroll down past the ads and find another post about him or another VTube theorizing about where he might have come from. I do what I can to help, of course, as I have these past few weeks. I like and comment and share, bombarding subscribees and friends I do not know with the latest facts and theories in between the ads, gasping in amazement with the rest of the world. At each tiny discovery, each new bit of progress, each celebrity that looks like him but turns out eventually not to be. But over these last few weeks, chasing him in my dreams, seeing him on my touchscreen, thinking idly of him as I advertise his pills, the idea has been growing in my mind. Follow. The word that echoes through everything. The one constant everyone seems to agree on. Follow. 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 I will do so. Not in the dreams. In the waking world. I will find him, and go to him, and find out what it is he saw in me that day upon the screen. I can leave this place, the vast white monolith that is the Vanofield building. Doing so will render my job here forfeit, but what does that matter? I will not need to come back here. I will not need a job ever again. All I will need is him who told me to follow. Then I will obey his instruction, journeying out across the baking, artificial smog-choked world until I find him. I don't know how, but I'll do it. I have to. And almost as though he himself has reached through the screen to grant me what I need to come to him. A notification pings into my UMAG feed. I don't recognize the name, but then I don't recognize the names of most of the people I'm subscribed to. But he's offering something. A car that someone left him when they died. A little Volkswagen sitting abandoned and unwanted in a towering parking garage. And then I read the address and my heart skips in my chest. It's in my city. Not too far from here, even. Just a few hours on foot through the smog choked streets. I can make that. I can walk that far for him. I grin as I tap the reply button. Hope is pounding in my chest like a second heart.
I will follow him. I will. I will. He is waiting for me. Follow, says the voices of the crowd. Follow, follow, follow. I push through them, all but running down the smoggy street. Drones circle above me, the whine of their rotors drowning the crowd's speech for stuttering intervals before it resurges again, like a wave whispering to me, calling to me, pushing me along like the pressing bodies. I can almost see the flap of his cape ahead of me, the bob of his top hat above the other milling heads. My hands part the forms ahead of me like water, eager to move along faster than their sluggish, meandering shovel. Their faces turn towards me, smiling, half-familiar, blurred shapes of people I once knew, people I once cared about. Hands reach out to grab me, and whether they mean to push me on or pull me back, I do not know. I do not allow myself to be slow enough to find out. For a moment, I see a flash of orange hatband ahead of me, and I dart towards it, the movement carrying me gradually down a different street, a different angle between the mammoth concrete buildings. One of the drones skims down, its camera lenses playing his face on them like screens, and I swat at its huge form like an irritating fly, sending its buzzing away again up into the yellow-brown clouds as I push on and on, and then as I emerge into a larger, wider space of street, I see him. He is not walking ahead of me like I had thought. He is sat upon his palm, the base of it buried in the cracked concrete of the street like a fire hydrant, its tip up in those choking mustard smog clouds, so that his body and his chair are silhouetted within them, like a deity looming on high within the orange and gold. I run forward, scrabbling at the pole, trying desperately to climb its smooth metal surface, but my hands slide uselessly off the slick iron, and my movements do not so much as send ripples up towards where he sits, silent, uncaring. From below me, I feel something, a touch, a hand on my lower back. It is a member of the crowd, pushing me upwards, helping me. Another joins me, and another, and a third, their eager message flowing in his voice from their lips as they lift me up 
and up towards him. Soon they begin to pile atop one another, crushing each other below me in their eagerness to lift me, to deliver me to him. That single imploring word, carrying me up and up and up. And all the time, I see him up there, getting closer and closer and closer. My heart beating almost in my throat as I scrabble and pull and do what I can to pull myself up as their thousand bodies push me. One of the drones skims down, and I reach out to grab its metal chassis, feeling it dip and whine as I pull myself up and set a foot upon its plastic carapace. Another whirs down, and another, and another, and I step on each in turn, like a strange staircase, carrying me up and around the pole, ascending closer and closer and closer. My fingers brush the base of that cloud of filth, and then my hair, and then my shoulders are in it, the whispered chant from the crowd throbbing up towards me, eager, excited, hopeful. And then, as my feet become immersed entirely within that choking yellow filth, I reached up and hesitantly, reverently, touch the tip of his cape. His head snaps towards me. I feel as though my heart will burst. My smile is so wide. I think my cheeks will break. His eyes turn towards me, orange, glowing, aflame, coming to meet mine. And then I am sitting up in the seat of the truck, gasping for air, still grinning like a madman, even as tears, tears, fall burning from my eyes. That truck has taken me far. The food and oxies I loaded into its back seat, sufficient to carry me for weeks through the corn. But even the corn is gone now, the fields ending with an abrupt white metal fence, and leaving in their wake a broiling wasteland of crumbling ruins and jagged rock formations, and the harsh, grim dust of the bare earth. There is no road here, no guide, no way to tell me which way I am to go. But I feel certain of it, like a seeker drone finding its way home. All I must do is keep driving, go on and on and on, and eventually, eventually, I will find him. Ten pills, nine, eight, seven, I take one faithfully each night before I go to sleep, and sink with relief into dreams of him calling me forever to follow. They will run out soon, but I have faith. 
I will find him in this last week before my beloved orange pills are gone at last. And then on the second to last day of driving, something appears over the horizon. At first it seems like a light of some kind, a golden glow thrown up against the wispy, suffocating clouds. Then, as morning dawns and even those last trails of white bake away from its flanks, I realize the truth. It is a tower, colossal, blooming, monolithic, a titan, hyperbola made of polygons of pale glass, stretching what must be half a mile or more above the wasteland. Its surface flickers and glows and shifts, illuminating a warm white except where the light hits its edges and turns them a fiery orange. It makes no sound, but I can feel the sheer presence of it humming towards me and over me and through me, beckoning me like a great beacon up there amongst the plains. That is it. That is where I must go. Larger and larger it grows, looming up in the windshield of the truck until it is all I can see. Its titan mass shedding light around it like a lamp the size of the moon, drowning out even the sun in the sky, as its golden glow seems to suffuse the world. By the time I stop and step out of the trunk, with a thud of metal doors, its gargantuan form is mesmeric, its curved flanks sloping ever away from me and the unseen segments of its bulk soaring up in elegant lines into the afternoon sky. Hesitantly, reverently, I walk towards the small wooden door set into its side and pull it open. Within, the tower is hollow, light pouring in like a greenhouse and filling the place with an almost misty illumination, a slender iron pole stretching up through the centre as though somehow supporting it like a circus tent. Within that space, drifting like bubbles in a lava lamp, float human figures, thousands on thousands of them, hanging like limp and motionless in the air as though supported by wires. For a horrible moment, I think they are dead, until I understand the gentle thunder that suffuses this gigantic hollowness. The sounds of unguessable amounts of human beings breathing the slow, peaceful breath of sleep, until it sounds as though the tower itself is alive and feeding some mammoth lung. I find myself listening to that sound, trying to pull out the familiar words. But this is not a dream, and the breath of the floating sleepers is only that and nothing more. There are stairs around the inside of the tower, spiralling up and up like a corkscrew away from me, 
made from the same strange, glassy material as the glowing walls. My shoes are long since gone, and the stairs are warm and hard beneath my bare feet as I take my first step, and then another, and a third, wondering at the unfathomable scale of this place, and at how many made it here before me. I am wondering still, as my aching legs carry me up the last of those stairs, and through a gap in the glimmering glass ceiling onto the top of the tower. Around me, far, far below, stretches everything. The wastelands roll away and away, scatters of a pale cloud sprinkled across them like strange lost sheep. It is sunset now, though I do not know if it is the same day or not. And though the ground is in shadow, the tower's peak is still bathed in deep golden sunlight. Somewhere far away, I think I can spot the silver glint of water on the horizon and the faint green afterthought of the cornfields far, far to the west. But none of that matters in comparison to what waits at the tower's centre. Through the roof, no more than a hundred feet away from me emerges the iron pole, looking almost out of place in this huge, beautiful structure. And atop it, on that strange metal swivel chair I know so well, sits him. As always, he faces away from me, hunched forward in apparent exhaustion, staring out across his unimaginable domain. A part of me wants to simply stand there, to savour this moment, this thing I have worked so very hard for. But this is no dream, and there will be no alarm to stop me reaching him. Grinning with excitement, I stretch out a hand and go running towards him across those warm, glowing panes. His head turns as I approach him his top hat tilting gently in the sun's fading rays. His physical presence after all this time is almost overwhelming, and I drop to my knees as I reach in, beaming with joy as I try to find the words to express my churning thoughts. In the end I need none, for it is he who speaks to me. Hello. Child, he says, his voice somehow, exactly as I expected it would be, calm and mild and so very powerful. You've traveled quite a long way to get here. Hesitantly, eyes brimming with tears and transforming him into a swirling mass of colors, I nod. Through my eager blinking, I watch him stand ever so slowly, reaching out a hand, tilting his head as he looks down at me. Come, child, he says, and his voice is so full of command that my hand is reached for his before he has finished speaking the words, dream with me. My palm touches his, 
with a small sound of flesh on flesh, and the world goes dark, and I fall upwards and away into swirling landscapes of colour and beauty and dream that neither I nor any other need ever wake from again. Written by Stalker Shrike. And what a wonderful, wonderful story. Ladies and gents, thank you so, so much for joining me tonight. Or today, whichever time it is for you. I wanted to say a huge, huge thank you for listening. And a massive thank you for all the people, those that support me, that reached out to me and talked to me personally about what I was experiencing the past two weeks. So for those who don't know, myself and my wife got COVID. My wife got hit really badly and um, she was hospitalized as a result and she still is recovering, but she's definitely on the mend and no permanent damage, thank goodness. But um, during that time, I couldn't upload for that obvious reason, right? But during that time, a lot of you lovelies reached out to me to check on me, and I put a post in my Patreon explaining what was going on. So I was blown away by your amazing kindness. Thanks for sending all those lovely messages. This is outside of my usual thank yous for just your support. This is thank you for your kindness to me directly. So a big shout out to Matto Star, Lee Bauer, Seductive Smile, and Divided by Zero. Thank you immensely for reaching out to me. I just want to say thank you for your kind words. It was a godsend not having to worry about the past two weeks whilst I recovered and my wife was recovering as well so I could really look after her. So thank you once again, everyone. Also, I want to thank my amazing supporters. First and foremost, my legendary Ode Knight T Titan himself, the amazing showstopper that is Matto Star. Again, your patience is a godsend. I haven't had a chance to respond to you via email, which I always do. I'm going to put time aside this weekend just for you, I promise. Thank you so much for your support and understanding. You really are special. Your kindness and generosity is endless. My amazing Lee Bauer, I hope Halloween is building up amazingly for you and that it is full of spooky fun. Cheers, you legend. I also want to thank my amazing existing supporters. I'm lucky to have Seductive Smiles XO. Jandy Prince, Jane Gumnick, Sunshine Days, Paige Kramer, Divided by Zero, Juicebox Andy, Just Heather, Peter Raffaelli, and Chad Warren. Thank you, amazing people. You guys are superstars. Absolute superstars. You can probably tell I'm a little tired still. Uh, I think maybe in this case it could have aided the performance. <laughs> but... Um, uh, still recovering. Got a bit of brain fog. Even said the word brain, like brain frog just then. But I am endlessly thankful for your support. I'm going to be back to my normal uploads every Monday. Rest assured. 
If you want to support the show, you can visit my Patreon page, www.patreon.com forward slash SFGT. And you can support at any tier. I'm honestly happy for any love. Uh, and it does go right back into the podcast. Whether it be new mics, website costs, overheads, I really do appreciate it. Plus, no matter what size the donation, I'm going to include you in the shout out. And I'm lucky to have the lovelies that I do have. What a bunch of legends. So, again, a big, big, big thank you to those people that reached out to me. You really helped comfort me during a time where I was basically looking after uh, my wife, you know, in a time where there were lots of unknowns and a lot of questions. So that positive feedback really kept me on, on task and on target. And for that, I'm just grateful. All right, legends. Now, pour your tea. Make it nice. Ensure your flavoring is precise like a story. Let it flow. Let the fables and tales take you home. It's these stories that bring us together and old audio that reminds us of how we've changed. Stay a while, have a listen, and as always, I hope to see you again. See you amazing people next Monday. Take care. <laughs>